Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, April 29th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlanda is here with me and let the record show that the NCAA took a step this morning in an attempt to allow college athletes to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. The Board of Governors, uh, they've approved recommendations proposed by a working group. So now, a formal proposal is scheduled to be submitted no later than October. The NCAA board should vote no later than January, and the new rules are expected to take effect at the start of the 2021-22 academic year. We're going to get into the details momentarily, but my main takeaway is that it's a step in the right direction, but not a big enough step because it doesn't meet the standard of California's law or the law that's scheduled to take effect in Florida on July 1st, 2021. That's a problem. Unless Congress creates federal legislation that supersedes all state laws, is Congress going to do that? We'll see. The NCAA wants to restrict the market, and they don't want endorsement opportunities to be a recruiting tool. And as I've stated many times, restricting the market is just wrong and could possibly be illegal in some states. And how they think endorsement opportunities won't be a recruiting tool remains impossible to understand. On a teleconference this morning, Mark Emmert, Gene Smith, Val Ackerman, all smart people were asked about these things, and they largely acknowledged they don't have good answers yet. The implication was that they'll have good answers eventually, but if you don't have them already, after months and months of talking and thinking about this, the reason you don't have them is probably because they don't exist. So again, step in the right direction, sure, but it's not a big enough step because anything short of a free and fair market is something short of a free and fair market. Norlander, where are you at on all this? There's a lot of spots to go here. I would disagree with you that they don't have good answers yet. I think they're unwilling to provide the answers that are on the table because what we had on Wednesday uh, at the end of April was something that we had been moving toward. Now, for those listening to the podcast that woke up on Wednesday or maybe saw Tuesday evening that this was coming, uh, it probably came as something of an, oh, yeah, by the way, given the COVID-19 situation that we've been enveloped in for uh, six, seven weeks now. But this was always the timeline. The NCAA is meeting that timeline here. So what what was unveiled, we'll get to the details in a minute, but what happened on Wednesday and what it all means is uh, the train arrived at the station, albeit, you know, easily decades late but in the the scope of what the NCAA is trying to do this is a, a a punctual advancement of what they're trying to get done it was always going to be in April when the board of governors reviewed the recommendations from the working group okay that's with Gene Smith Val Ackerman and others they're the group that spent all this time trying to come up with a plan. Why did they do this again? Because the FBI busted college basketball. Mark Emmert started the Rice Commission. The Rice Commission says, here's what we think you should do. The working group said, okay, we're going to take all this, try and come up with our own ideas. And so here we have arrived with what we have overall. Now, 
I will give credit to the NCAA for getting to this point. If if this had not happened, if we were still on pace for something to be officially voted into action in January of 2021, and we got to, say, July, and we didn't have what happened today happen at all, I think the NCAA would have been ripe for criticism. So at the very least, we arrived at this point. It is saying, and it is a monumental official progression for the NCAA, we are going to now allow college athletes to make money. Okay, There are going to be stipulations. There are issues that GP has that I have that the general public has with it. But regardless of all that, Parrish, we agree. This is actually a historic thing right now, what we, saw, what we saw today, because the Board of Governors voting this into action is essentially a rubber stamp. All it needs is a vote in January at the convention next year, and that's a guarantee. The fact that this happened today means that when it comes January and becomes official on the books, it's now an inevitability. Definitely a significant development. That's why we're talking about it. Um, I do think the details, as they get ironed out, um, will be the most interesting aspect of this. Because when I say they don't have good answers, I mean that one time after another after another, uh, whether it was Gene or Val or anybody on the call, they would say something to the effect of, um, we're, there's still a lot of things to work through. Yeah, we still have to figure that out. Yeah, we acknowledge this is a difficult thing. Yeah, that's a, obviously a, the toughest question to try to answer. Um, they don't quite know exactly how they're going to implement these restrictions, but they definitely want there to be restrictions, and they definitely don't want this to be as uh, used as a recruiting tool or a retention tool. Now, uh, I guess I would say the same thing now that I said when they initially acknowledged they were going to go down this path, uh, when they said we don't want it to be a recruiting tool. Well, how? How are you going to prevent it from being a recruiting tool? And they still don't have a great answer for that question. And the reason I think they don't have a great answer for that question is because I I don't think there's an answer for that question. I don't think it exists. I think what they're trying to do, what they state they're trying to do is an actually impossible thing. Because it, even if it goes unsaid, it will be understood that if you were the quarterback at Clemson, you stand to make more money in name, image, and likeness um, uh, by, you, by, by capitalizing on your name, image, and likeness rights than if you are the quarterback at a lesser program. Like that, well, it, it might not be um, you know, put on a, a, a card and put in front of you, but it will be understood, at which point these, these things do become recruiting tools. You're right. It might not be said, but it will be understood. I think that's an inevitability with all of this. There is a central issue here that still has to be untangled by the NCAA, and frankly, I don't know if it can be. And it might be banking on, if not a Hail Mary, uh, something of a long shot, Maybe the, maybe Mark Emmert and his cohorts don't believe this to be a long shot, but at the at, at the center of all of what was unveiled on on Wednesday, the central question remains: Can the NCAA ultimately enact name, image, and likeness legislation? Not that like appeases the masses, because that's just never going to happen. Short of complete. Uh, a complete professional model on every single level, which is just not going to happen. That's not based in reality. You're not going to appease everyone. So not necessarily that, but it's more about the state legislators and the individual states that have already been aggressive with this in terms of their own NIL stuff and how that will conflict with any potential you know, enactments from Congress and the federal government here. So since this came out, we have ha- we have heard from people across the country at the state level 
uh, in some criticism, some hopes, and some oh by the way, don't 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 think that you know what you did here is going to absolve you of what you're trying to do at the national level. I'll just, I'm going to quote a few politicians real quick here because I think this to me is the most important factor in what we learned today and what we still don't know. So, for example, you've got uh, Florida Representative Republican Chris Lamarca. Here's what his quote. The recommendations today by the NCAA are about protecting their pockets, not student-athletes. All we continue to hear are excuses from this multi-billion dollar not-for-profit. Now they are shifting the blame for their deliberate inaction to the states that have passed meaningful legislation to protect student rights to earn a living. It is absurd and shows they care more about protecting TV and apparel deals than they do these young women and men who have worked their entire lives for this opportunity. Chris Murphy in my state of Connecticut, who has been one of the... um, leaders at the federal level to try and get something done that's allowable on a California type of level for NIL. He said, this proposal is one step forward, one step back. The NCAA wants to limit athlete endorsement deals in a way that could make them totally impractical. And the NCAA wants Congress to give it total power of athletes' compensation. That should be a non-starter. Representative Mark Walker, who is from North Carolina, has also uh, been a part of a separate bill at the federal level trying to get this done. He said, the NCAA doesn't need antitrust exemptions. They have spent decades using their lawyers to keep young men and women from receiving basic rights, even as they grew to a $1 billion a year organization. I'm sure those same lawyers can help them navigate this without congressional intervention. And of course, I have to include Nancy Skinner, the person most responsible for getting us to this point here today. She was the one who helped initiate and ultimately pass across the board without a dissenting vote, uh, SB 206 in California. She said, today, after California and states across the country put the ball in their court, the NCAA has taken a step in the right direction. College athletes are on their way to making money off their name, image, and likeness, just like all other Americans can. The devil will be in the details, yet no matter how much you cut it, this represents a landmark change. A year ago, no one would have expected the NCAA to move definitively toward giving college athletes their NIL rights. California launched a tidal wave with more than two dozen states joining the cause to give student athletes their NIL rights. Before I throw it back to you, Parrish, all of that stuff that I just mentioned is tied around the big question mark of the NCAA wants blanket legislation about, okay, you can receive money, but here is parameter A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P around all this, or as they refer to seven dozen times on the call as guardrails. I freaking hate the word already. The problem is California's already passed bill and other states like Florida, North Carolina, you name it across the country, it's building more and more. Pennsylvania, they have more liberal interpretations for NIL. The NCAA does not want to involve itself with fights on a state-by-state basis because, frankly, uh, they'll just be chasing their own tail for decades, and it's a fight they ultimately can't win. So they are banking on Congress to allow for an antitrust exemption that will enable them to supersede more liberal law interpretations of the rule, if you follow me here. Parrish, what's your feeling on – and I, we're not – we are not constitutional law experts, so we're not going to even try – I to, actually am a constitutional okay. law expert. In, in, in addition to being a doctor? Okay, sounds yeah, good. I, have, I am actually a doctor and a constitutional law expert. Okay, how much of a fight do you think the NCAA trying to forecast what we're what we're in for here? And you listened to that entire call. Uh, they did reference uh, Congress's help in the federal, like they referenced it enough to think that they probably think that they've got something of an an edge there. The NCAA spends millions in lobbying annually, Parish. 
But how much of a fight do you think the NCAA is in for when it comes to this? Do you ultimately think that they're going to be able to win at the federal level to the point where California's NIL stuff is going to be a better situation, but it's not going to matter because the NCAA is going to say, hey, we got the antitrust exemption, California, we don't care what you have to say. Here's what here's what the Congress told us we could do, and here's our trump card. Do you expect a, a big fight, a little fight, or, or, or what's your takeaway from what I just laid out there? I'd, I'd be lying if I tried to pretend that I know. I, I, I it, Clearly, they are banking on that because otherwise this their interpretation of name image and likeness rights doesn't go far enough like that's what yes. um the lawmakers in California are already saying lawmakers in Florida are already saying so they're going to ha- it's going to be a a, a must uh, or else they, they this won't work because um, in California um my understanding is that there are no restrictions on what a student athlete can take. If somebody wants to give you a million dollars to sign your name one time, uh, according to the California law that will go into effect, um, the NCAA has no right to prevent you from doing that. And so, you know, that's, that's going to be a, a big, big part of this is can they get the help from Congress that they are practically begging for <laughs> at, at, at this point? Um, you know, we'll see. But let's, you know, let's assume that they let's assume that the NCAA does get that for the sake of this part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And they are able to implement these rules the way they want to with, as you put it, parameter A, B, C, D on down the line. Well, they one of the, the things they've made clear is that they will allow student athletes to be compensated for you know, commercials, billboards, autograph signings, whatever. But it can't be outside of what the market suggests is normal. Well, how do you how do you determine that? Like, okay, so so Zion Williamson, within months of leaving Duke, signed a seven year, seventy five million dollar endorsement deal with Nike. All right, that's that's um. That's more than $10 million per year. So that suggests to me Zion Williamson was worth that while he was at Duke or something close to that. Mm. So what if somebody actually wants to give Zion Williamson millions of dollars uh, or somebody – the next Zion millions of dollars? How does the NCAA step in and say this is okay, this is not? For instance, sometimes um, – I'll get uh, asked by a, a, a sponsor, uh, an advertiser on my radio show, hey, um, if we did this, this, and this, would you post about it on Facebook or Instagram? And I'll say, yeah, sure, because you try to help out your advertisers. Um, now, what they might do for me is just like cover a meal or give me some gift cards. Now, if you ask Kim Kardashian to do the same thing, it's going to cost you a million dollars for her to post about it on Instagram. So how do you determine what is – uh, what's okay at one place, what's okay at another place. And by definition, um, d- doing something as a Duke basketball player makes you more valuable than doing something as a Duquesne basketball player. So I just, I think it's really complicated to try to figure out how, to, in what ways they're going to restrict what's fair and what isn't, because um, in, in reality, you're worth whatever somebody is willing to give you to do whatever they're asking you to do. And I I just think it really gets complicated. You trying to legislate that on a case by case basis all over this country. The essence of name, image and likeness liberty 
is centered around an open market wherein entities or business people, whomever, for whatever reasons they want, if they want to give their money to a college player, they should be allowed to do it uh, <laughs> within federal law, but otherwise just let the market play out as it may. I was surprised to hear Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith say on the call that there's no cap to earnings for, for college players. That's a great thing. That's that's wonderful to hear. But in practicality, is that actually what's going to happen? Are you Because the NCAA has to figure out ultimately, and these are the these are tough questions. The NCAA made this situation, and it's going to have to try and resolve it. Okay, this is all on the NCAA to figure out, and it hasn't. If it has answers or solutions, it has not. It didn't indicate them on the call today, which is what Parrish led the podcast with. But as Ralph Russo, who is a great AP college sports writer, uh, posted on on Twitter earlier today. He said, I'll quote him here, NCAA says there will be no caps on NIL competition to athletes. But if it tries to regulate the deals athletes are making to ensure some type of fair market value, a lawyer might argue that is a cap. That is exactly right. What the Mm -hmm. NCAA wants to try and resist from happening is the recruiting race where – if you have a player that is being courted, just call it by four schools in either primary revenue producing sport, and you then get into a situation where boosters are involved, you don't want to have this recruiting enticement. And I don't know how, Parrish, I just don't know how you completely uh, get the toothpaste back in the tube in that regard. Also because of this. Boosters, by their very nature, are business people. They are rich. They have disposable income that they are willing to put toward athletic facilities, paying coaches out of contracts, helping to fund coaches who are coming into contracts. These are people that want to improve the status of an athlete, from an athletic standpoint of the universities that they're connected to. And because of that, they have plenty of wealth. They own businesses. The legislation here allows for college players, not just off of what I think will genuinely be a big source of revenue on social media accounts like Instagram or who knows where the hell we're going with TikTok and, and Twitter and all that stuff. I think that that is a, a space where there's, I think we're just entering into a fledgling era with that. But for other more traditional routes, um, you are not going to be able to avoid instances where a booster is going to be connected to a business that is going to be allowable for a college athlete to make money off of that. And so the NCAA has a big question and issue to get its arms around, and I don't know if it ever fully can. It's going to ultimately write legislation that's going to be, I, I think, have to be both strict in nature and open for interpretation. And when you do that, I mean... Uh, you you just just pull apart a loophole uh, the size of the Atlantic Ocean that anyone's going to navigate around. So that's another thing that I wanted to get to real quick here, GP. It's just the booster situation and the inevitability that when it comes to trying to avoid recruitments and pay for play, I just don't think you can separate the two issues. Am I wrong? I, no, I, I've been. This is literally what I've been saying since the first time we talked about this. You cannot reg. You you can't. You can bring it all above board. But you can't put restrictions on it because it just complicates everything. Who are you to say what the best basketball player at Kentucky is worth to a Kentucky business owner 
who is also a Kentucky season ticket holder. Like boosters have been throwing money at players for decades for nothing in return. Just to do it. Yes. Just to do it. So like, okay, now I can actually have you come to my business. I can actually put be in a commercial with you. Like what, what is that worth? And, and, and how do you, okay. So they say, listen, we're, uh, and again, they're very vague on the details, but essentially um, we will, you know, we'll flag anything that seems like it's, yeah, this is just really uh, a disguise for pay for play. Okay. Well, how you, what, how you, how do you figure that out? Okay. And, and really uh, the, the Kentucky point guard is going to get, uh, again, I'm just throwing out numbers, but Kentucky point guards get a, get a $150,000 car dealership deal. And you're going to okay that one. But then like the North Carolina point guard, uh, get something similar and you say, well, this one doesn't seem right. What? Like, how do you, how do you decide those things? Like by definition, if a business owner is willing to, to pay the money, that is, that is what the market suggests this is worth. And beyond that, they just, again, the, the problematic things here are they tie themselves to restrictions and they tie themselves to, it uh-huh. can't be a recruiting tool because those are impossible things to pull off. Like, Okay. Here's another hypothetical, but you ask them the question. They don't know how to resolve this. They say it cannot be a recruiting tool. It can't be a retention tool. All right. Now, um, I, I, I'm just randomly throwing out schools. Maryland has a third leading score, and he wants to be the leading score, so he's going to transfer. But then all of a sudden, a car dealership or a bank or anything steps up and says, hey, listen – um, we'd really like to have you in commercials as long as you're a Maryland Terrapin, and we could make that worth $150,000 as long as you're a Maryland Terrapin. Okay, the kid says, all right, cool. I will remain a Maryland Terrapin. Let's do this deal. Now, the NCAA comes in. How do you determine whether that's a legitimate deal within your guidelines or um, just a way to keep the player from transferring? How, how, do, you, how do you determine those things? It's the How ul- do you determine intent? This is the ultimate Pandora's box, and because the NCAA is 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 going to get rid of the amateurism model uh, when it's dead and in the ground, this is the this is the slow withering of it. It's not going to give up all this. I don't even know how the NCAA can even start to employ people or reliably trust an outsourced company to begin to look at all of this stuff because what's going to happen here, it's funny, like we talk about the transfer rule, like is it going to change and, and there's a lot of cynicism out there and rightfully so about like the NCAA just doesn't want to have three to five to seven people dealing with this paperwork. Are you kidding me? When you bring this in, it's it's 15 times the amount of work to do this and the players, oh, by the way, they deserve every single one of these opportunities this is just this is the breaks as far as I'm concerned with the NCAA. If you've got uh, a lot of thorniness here, it's of your own doing. If you were willing to be more liberal in your interpretations and not be so beholden to this notion of amateurism, see, you're trying to go with this with a half measure, and when you do that, you are just going to introduce many more issues. You're just going to they're just going to pop up left and right there. To oh, me, you you think people you think people are frustrated with transfer waivers? <laughs> Wait till you get them ruling on endorsement deals. What's legitimate, what's not. Transfer waivers, nothing compared to that. Absolutely nothing. And there are so – what will be intriguing here 
is once we get a year to particularly like three or four years from now, and this is an action and what and whatever reality we're in, whatever's allowable, whatever's not, I'll be I'll be interested to see one, the general market for all kinds of college athletes, how many, who can make real money, who can make you know, I'm talking like at least five figures, let alone six, and the methods in which they'll be able to do that, the fallout from, you know, we are clearly going through a recession that will last for a long, long time. How that, how much that has an impact on it as well. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. If you think about it long enough, it, it gets frustrating in a hurry. No doubt about it. I will say that it, have they been pulled here kicking and screaming GP? Yeah, a little bit, but I, I give the NCAA at least some credit for getting to the, we are at least here. So yes, I will give the NCAA credit for finally arriving to this point. Are they going as far as you would like? No. As far as I would like? No. But my expectations, they probably met where I was, where I was about where it would be overall GP. Um, the question now becomes Congress, which has so many other issues to deal with. Like I just, there are so many unknowns still here, but um, but we have movement, and this will become NCAA legislation in January of 2021 with enactment July of 2021. So we're still more than a year away from this even being allowable, but uh, but but here's where we're at nonetheless. And uh, again, I just keep circling back to the states and what they want to do and how those representatives are not. <laughs> They're not going to just bow down at the hopes uh, and wants of the NCAA, and they're right there in Washington as well. You know, when everyone's allowed to convene again, and um, I just think that there's a huge battle ahead there, and certainly some interesting headlines will be awaiting in the next six to eighteen months. The NCAA's desire to continue to control as much money as possible makes their job so complicated. Like the easiest thing to do is actually just say, you know what, no restrictions. You un- yeah, you, just whatever. Un- unwill again though, Parish, unwilling to go there because they, so many who have been a, a part of that infrastructure, that world, that universe, believe that once you do that, the very pillars of what make college athletics so great come crumbling down. We don't agree with that, but this is it's it's kind of amazing from the outside looking in uh, how beholden they are and why. Frankly, I'm still like a little amazed when I hear the language I hear on today's call and I see what's written in the NCAA release. It's like, damn, like 10 years ago, this is definitely not even remotely conceivable. No, I mean, listen, the NCAA was, you know, you you can give them credit. I'll give them credit. Uh, The truth is they got pushed here by the states. They they don't they they are only here because of the state of California, because of the state of Florida, uh, because of the other states that are passing or proposing legislation. So they don't want to be in this spot. Um, they just went here because they had no choice. But here still isn't far enough. And like I was saying, the easiest thing to do is just say, everybody go get what you can get. It, like if if an overzealous uh, Louisville booster wants to give you $500,000 to come sign autographs at a car lot one day, that you know what? If that's the way the guy wants to spend his money, that's the way to go. He can go ahead. Like we don't care. We're out of the business of trying to legislate who gets what. Suddenly everything's above board. Uh, you don't have to deal with all these little issues. Everybody knows exactly why. You know, this player went to one school and that player went mm-hmm. to another school. And I know because I was on CBS Sports HQ earlier with uh, Dennis Dodd and, and Avery Johnson. 
And one of the points Avery made is that, you know, this it feels like it's going to you know, further divide the haves and the have nots. And on one hand, I like I, I get that because undeniably, you know, what it is we I would like, I don't want to speak for you with well, a system I would like in place uh, precisely what California has proposed, uh, like a true Olympic model um, would lead to the best prospects in the country you know, picking the biggest schools because that's where they can make the most money. But like I've argued before, um, that, that, that the order of things wouldn't change. Like the best basketball prospects would still go to Duke and Kentucky and North Carolina. And the best football prospects would still go to Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State. Like everybody would be getting whatever it is the market suggests they're worth and the order of things throughout the sport wouldn't change. Like Obi Toppin would still end up at a place like Dayton. Yeah. And Tyrese Maxey would still end up at a place like Kentucky. I think I think that's largely true. I also do believe that there are instances where a particular sport in a smaller market means so much that you actually have you can you can throw more wrenches into uh, the recruiting races. Like I think Nebraska is an off-reference spot. I think that's absolutely true. Like Nebraska now is. What half the program it was Nebraska football uh, from 1965 to 1998? Okay, but they still invest and care so much in it that there could be enticements there. Where if you're being recruited to be the star quarterback uh, and and you're and you're, you're down to Nebraska, Ohio State, Texas, and you know call it Iowa or whatever, and you know that the competition at a couple of those schools might not be. Uh, it might be tougher than what you're getting at Nebraska. And then you get that enticement on top of it. Well, maybe you choose that spot uh, instead there. That's the kind of stuff that I'll be particularly interested to see because it, it is unavoidable that how these different college towns, the cities that some colleges are in, uh, five years down the road, you know, evolve to, okay, if I want to go play here, not just like the fit, can I turn pro, the coaching staff, but now, you know, me and my parents or my guardians, we care about our earning potential, our earning opportunity. You're just not going to be able to stop that. Last thing I have on this, GP, and then I, I think I'm pretty much tapped out on what we got here today, but willing to walk down any path you want to go. Um, we wait and see on if the NCAA is going to institute. And I, I don't see how this is going to be a successful route, but it could happen nonetheless. If the NCAA is going to institute a third-party outside source system that basically says, we want to hire you, whatever firm this is, okay, to handle all of these cases for us and determine through whatever measures that th that such a, an entity would determine, okay, is this fair market value? Is this fair market value? Is, is there something... Uh, nefarious happening here? Is this inflation, et cetera, et cetera? Again, it goes back to the the central question of, well, fair market value is really what someone's willing to pay you. Like that's just that's that's just the way that uh, that all this goes. But I think that is very much on the table. And if it is, uh, obviously it will have, it have its pitfalls. But I think the NCAA almost has no choice but to try and do that because, again, from a from a mere staffing standpoint, like some of the nitty gritty stuff, just the minutia, like it's 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 a huge. Headache, and I don't know if the NCAA wants to be dealing with this on a week-by-week -week basis under its own roof. Right. I, I do think eventually, one way or another, um, we will get to a place um, that looks a lot like 
the, the place I described where the NCAA actually does just say we're out of the amateurism business. You know, we're not going to pay players, um, but we will allow them to get whatever they can get. And we don't stand in the way of anything uh, that, that we'll get there at some point. But just like with everything else, um, it's a baby step. It's a process. And so the NCAA is just unwilling to go that far right now. And so ultimately, just to circle this back and then pair a new paragraph, um, ultimately come down like, can they get Congress to pass legislation to supersede all the state laws? Because if they do not, and this is really uh, probably the most important thing to take away from this, if they don't get that cooperation from Congress – then their rules will be more restrictive than California law, than Florida law. And so the same headbutting we were headed for, it'll, it'll exist. It'll, it'll still be there uh, when we get to um, those laws going into effect. And so you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, it, it's a significant day, but I would have liked to have seen the NCAA just go further. And by further, I mean – uh, allow student athletes to to do what every other student on campuses can do, which is just accept whatever somebody is willing to give them. Like I was a scholarship student when I was in school, not athletic scholarship, but I was allowed to work for anybody who wanted to hire me and they could pay me whatever they wanted to pay me. I didn't have to clear it with anybody. I wasn't at risk of losing my scholarship if I took too much from the commercial appeal. Like the idea that I had more rights than uh, the basketball players or football players on the same campus, like it, it didn't seem right then, certainly doesn't seem right now. And so the NCAA stopped well short of that, or at least noticeably short of that. And it's uh, um, unless they get that cooperation from Congress, it'll be a it'll be a problem they'll have to deal with down the road. Let's move on. The deadline for underclassmen to declare for the NBA draft has passed. Now players have until at least June 15th to withdraw. Which decisions are the biggest? We'll get into it next. But first, check this out. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign 
sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. So the deadline for underclassmen to declare for the NBA draft has passed. There are 205 early entry prospects. Some are in the draft for good. Others might still withdraw. Norlander, I know you're working on something connected to all this. Whose decisions about whether to stay in the draft or return to school are going to impact the sport of college basketball most? I think we got a good seven or eight that are big stay or go decisions that could go either way. So a player that I wouldn't include in this is like a Luca Garza who most expect to return. Um, that would be a big boon, obviously, to, to Iowa and the Big Ten in general. And so I'm eliminating those kind of players that are considered definitely to return and obviously eliminating the players who are, who are gone for good. Um, I took a look at the NBA's official list, which was released late Tuesday night. I looked at it uh, when I woke up Wednesday morning. Here are the guys that I think are the, are the biggest because if they returned – they impact their teams, not only like their star potential for next season, but impact their team's overall projections in a preseason top 25, Sweet 16 level team, Final Four level team. So uh, here's who I got. Let me know if you think I, if I missed anyone or who you would most agree with. This is no order in particular. I'd say Kofi Coburn at Illinois. And what the hell I'll say whether I think they're going to stay or return. Kofi Coburn, I'll say returns. Uh, and if he does, he's got a great shot at being like a top 15 player in the sport, in my opinion. Xavier Tillman could be a first-team All-American if he comes back. Now, this was after I, – I was not going to include Tillman on this list, but I had a conversation on Wednesday morning, and it appears – I think that he is gone. But it appears it is still kind of close to 50-50, not seen as a surefire first-round guy. Uh, so I put him in there. I think he's gone, but if he came back, that would just – where do you have Michigan State right now in your ranking, GP? Mm, Where'd you put them? Let me. Yeah, you look I, it up. I'll go to the I, next one. Corey, I, I've got it. I've okay. got it. I've got it. Let's see. Michigan State is 11th in the top 25 and one. And that's presuming Tillman's gone. You tell me Tillman yes. gets back into the roster. I'm I'm probably moving Michigan State up at least three spots in that case. I think he's that good. Um, but we'll see. Corey Kispert at Gonzaga. I think he would get drafted. I think he will return. Um, just a hunch. Isaiah Joe at Arkansas to me is an, uh, is the next two. Isaiah Joe at Arkansas, Tyrell Terry at Stanford, I think are the two true 50-50. I can't decide what they're going to do there. Um, it's too tough to tell. If Terry comes back, uh, Stanford is already uh, a pretty good team, and he makes them all the better. Fantastic prospect and really good college player. Um, didn't get quite enough due. Uh, this past season, just because Stanford was a little bit bumpy, but he's certainly on there. And then Andrew Nemhard, would he come back to Florida? I think there's um, some murmuring over uh, if, if he did come back to college, might he even consider a transfer option there? Trenton Wofford at LSU. Did you take LSU out of your rankings, GP? I did. I'm assuming he's gone. Yeah, I think that he's gone too. But if he did come back, I think uh, put him back in. And then Patrick Williams of Florida State, uh, a freshman with a lot of potential. We've seen actually Florida State have a couple guys uh, leave after the freshman seasons, but actually return to be sophomores as well. So those are the biggest stayer decisions that could go either way. I want to just real quick, GP, include five guys who are in the pool. I just think that it's way more likely than not that they return. 
I think Jared Butler and Macy Oteague at, uh, at Baylor come back. I think McKinley Wright the fourth comes back to Colorado while his teammate Tyler Bay is gone. Uh, Philip Petrushev, who we talked about on a previous podcast, I, he's probably got an interesting situation. I just think he's coming back. I just don't think he's going to get drafted, so he, he returns. Uh, and then UCLA's Chris Smith, who was a high-impact player, I think he's ultimately going to come back, particularly on the news. Oh, by the way, Dacia Nix is done before ever starting at UCLA. He's out. Um, just, you know, more minutes, more time for Chris Smith. They don't play the same position or anything like that. But I think that he will return for UCLA as well. Yeah, uh, to me, the you know, I tried to look at teams that have a real chance to win a national championship if they get their players back. And Gonzaga's right at the top of that, and Petrushev is the biggest one. And, you know, two other underclassmen have both declared for the NBA draft as well at Gonzaga. But Petrushev comes back; he's a first-team All-American, and um, you know, the the most productive player on the team that uh, I think should be ranked number one in the preseason. You know, I, I it, it's what makes his situation so interesting because sometimes guys are picking between you know being a second-round pick or going undrafted or coming back to a you know, whatever team. Um, with Petrushev, you've got a chance to be the best player on possible on a on a national t- title favorite. Like that's that's like that's uh, that'd be hard for me to walk away from. I guess is the way I'd put it. Um, so like he could do whatever he wants. That's my answer, stock answer on all of these decisions. Do whatever you want. It's like it's your life. But I, I'd have a hard time. I think walking around, walking away from what. Petrushev would be walking away from, which is one more year of being an awesome college basketball player for a team that should be ranked number one in the preseason. If you're back, um, um, that, that's a that, that's a that's a, a pretty rare thing for somebody to have an opportunity to return to that. So for him to have that opportunity, uh, like I said, it's a it's a lot to walk away from. Garza, I I don't know anybody who thinks he's not returning to school. Um, somewhat for the same reasons, you know, like you could come back, be the preseason national player of the year and a preseason top 10 team. Like that's, that's a hard thing to walk away from, particularly when your options aren't like, yeah. And I should rephrase, like, it's one thing when you could come back to school and be these things or be the number one pick in the draft or the sixth pick in the draft. Well, then it's like, you know, it's time to go. But when you're choosing between second round pick or not picked at all in these things, I just think it's, it's a little easier to come back to school. Um, Sadiq Bay, I think, has left the door open to returning. I don't think that he is. Yeah, I don't but, think so. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't either. Uh, but like, if he came back, you could make a case that Villanova could be the favorite to. Win I would the have the if that, GP. If that, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. If that happened, I would actually. If you told me Bay was back and they they would bring everyone back, Jeremiah Robinson Earl returns. I would actually put Villanova over Gonzaga, even if Gonzaga returned all their players. I think. Yeah, I think that, Bay that, is that good. Yeah, that's reasonable. Um, so, like, yeah, so he could return to a championship team, but again, I don't think he's returning. And then you mentioned them, but Jared Butler and Macy Oteague. Like, you come, I think Baylor, I've got number two in the top 25 and one right now. It's based on both of them coming back to school. So, like, do you want to be a second round pick, go undrafted, or do you want to come back and, and be key players on a team that will be good enough to go to a Final Four, maybe even win a national championship? That's what they're, 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 they're largely picking between the same things that Petrushev and Garza are also picking against the thing that makes Sadiq Bay different. You know, he's a projected top 20 pick. Uh, so uh, he'll, you know, he's to come back to school. He'd really be passing on something that the other players mentioned just won't be, won't be passing on. I agree. Um, a couple guys that did return 
uh, that I just want to note that they're coming back, and I think they that big impact players, Trace Jackson Davis at Indiana, Nemius Keita at Utah State, Scotty Lewis at Florida, Jeremiah Robinson Earl at Villanova, Matthew Hurt at Duke. I think of all the guys that are just underclassmen who are coming back and, and stand to have big years the following year. Like, uh, Keita was uh, – he was a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, I know he had some injury issues there. Um, I expect Scotty Lewis to kind of break through his ceiling finally. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I think, is going to be a terrific sophomore, and then he's a two-and-through kind of guy. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis just should help Indiana's overall situation, I would think. He was he was a wonderful freshman, borderline top five freshman in America last season. And then Matthew Hurt, he had some flashes, but he wasn't uh, – he wasn't the kind of uh, player in Duke's system that I think Duke fans were hoping he would be as a freshman and that I think that he can be as as a sophomore next season. I will note um, there were few, and I, this, I did expect this, there were fewer overall entrants into this year's pool uh, versus last year's in terms of specifically college underclassmen. Uh, it was 163 this season. Last year was 175, the year before 181. The past two seasons in this one were when um, rules about having uh, an agent in addition to deadlines and just more liberties provided to underclassmen. So those numbers aren't surprising in terms of them jumping. For, uh, for comparison's sake, 2016 had 117. This is per Jonathan Gavoni, uh, who does such wonderful research work. I'm looking at his numbers exactly, uh, just so I want to give the proper credit. 117 in 2016, and then before that, underclassmen, 48, 45, 46, 49. It's amazing how big the jump is. But it was fewer this year because of the COVID-19 situation and coronavirus. And I do think that we'll probably get fewer underclassmen remaining in the draft pool this season versus last when it was like north of 80. And obviously those guys didn't get drafted, but they thought that there were opportunities at the at the G League level, two-way contracts, exhibit tens, overseas opportunities. I I haven't spoken to one person who believes that the COVID-19 situation isn't going to have real tangible effects on the nature of, of basketball economics in this country and, and overseas. And you can't get the proper feedback as well. So um, my point here is that if you're a fan of a given college team, no matter what college team that is, uh, I think there's a higher percentage that you might get that player back, provided if he's not projected as a as a draft picker on the fringe. I think that there's just a better chance they'll come back, which is which is a benefit for college basketball parish in light of what we've seen this week, where you have Dacian Nix pulling out of his commitment after he signed with UCLA to go. He's the third guy to do the G League pathway program and all that stuff. And there's and I know understand the NCAA and college basketball have kind of taken their own hits there, but I actually think it could benefit. Uh, in a matter of the next four to eight weeks when we finally look up and say, oh, okay, this was the number last year, 85 or so kids, underclassmen stayed in the draft pool. I wouldn't be surprised if that number actually dipped below 70, but that's just a guess. Well, to tie all of this back together to the initial topic, I do think going forward you'll see that number go down after the name, image, and likeness rights Mm. rules are implemented, whatever they look like, because – Right now, there are some players who literally choose between going back to college or just being in the G League. And I don't mean the G League program like Dacia Nix, Isaiah Todd, Jalen Green, but just like I'm going to go play in the G League for, you know, $40,000, $50,000, whatever it is. You know, what if what if you could make more money playing college basketball? 
like Emmanuel quickly, could he make more money if name, image, and likeness rights were in place for college athletes right now? Could he make more money as the reigning SEC player of the year at Kentucky next season than he will make playing basketball professionally wherever he plays basketball next season? Maybe. Potentially, uh, depending on uh, where he could get picked and all and whatever legislation was there, it's your point is correct. And for those who might, I just want to be clear on this: for those who might be thinking, "Oh, the G League and the NBA and his pathway program came along, and now look at the end." That's not how this. I, one thing did not lead to the other. The the right. M, the, the NBA and its players association are, as I've long suspected, have been incapable of meeting halfway on reducing the age limit from 19 to 18. Maybe it happens in five years, but it's based on all recent reporting, most notably by Adrian Wojnarowski. That's just not happening. So the G League Pathway Program is Adam Silver's way of telling uh, the NBA and the G League, like, we want to provide some sort of avenue. But that's different from what we have happening here. It just happens to be beneficial to college basketball that the timing is the way that it is, that it can hopefully have some sort of money-making process or processes in place to help players and keep keep the guys – I hear this from coaches all the time – keep the guys in your league. If you're a, if you're a mid-major league, keep the top three underclassmen from leaving – Okay, if it, if it can't be by transfer otherwise. And if you're a major conference, keep the guys that are your 8th, 12th, and 14th best player to from going so that when they come back, the quality of play is better, talent's higher, and, and your teams just have a better chance at, at, at being in the, in the rankings, advancing deep into the tournament. That's the biggest issue for college basketball. It's a case I've been making for about a year now here. Yeah, the, the issue isn't Dacian Nix not enrolling in college. It's players like Jared Harper leaving college when they leave. Like Jared Harper leaves Auburn. If he comes back, he's a first-team All-American, probably, something like that. Instead, he leaves, and I think he was on a two-way deal or G League. And again, people can do whatever they want to do, but I do think the name, image, and likeness rights, when it goes into plays, players won't be choosing between uh, a professional life and coming back to college for a scholarship and cost of attendance type. It, 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 you know, at, at a particular school, it could be you can come back here and make – I don't want to put a number on it, but like a significant amount of money by coming back to college and being a college basketball star. Will it be more lucrative to be a college basketball star than to just leave school and pursue whatever professional opportunity you can. For some players, I think that it will be, and uh, though then I would assume that those players would make the decision in, in many cases to to come back to college, and then we're keeping more players in college basketball longer, and that is better for the sport of college basketball. Are we done here? I, I had a question for you. I was, you know, in the in the. In the instance of Jared Harper Arena, you know, mm-hmm. normally, normally what happens is, you know, you have businesses or, or sometimes really uh, rich men and women who make these big donations to universities or arenas, and, and you have to pay a fee, right? But that's not the case with Jared Harper Arena. So I'm just wondering, um, given, given that you're an expert in constitutional law. Yes. You are a doctor. And also, I, also a, a rising star in the field of meteorology. There, okay. There, yes, absolutely. You have you have appeared on local uh, news newscasts uh, and. Dude, I've appeared on the Weather Channel. Yeah, <laughs> I was on the Weather Channel. Okay, so uh, given all uh, your vast fields of expertise, 
How much do we think it's worth to Jared Harper that the fact that he, that his name is on the side of the arena down in Auburn, Alabama? I think that's probably it's probably twenty million dollars. <laughs> probably twenty million dollars. Should I should I fact check this with an economist or should I, should the listeners just take your word for it here? You probably just, I I encourage everybody to always just take my word for it. <laughs> My my wife my wife at the top of that list. <laughs> Just take my word for it. Twenty yeah. mil for a good old Jared Harper. So you say, you know, it's it's it can be an issue here, which which is true. But on on an individual basis here, you know, Jared Harper is living his best life. I don't know if he's aware of the fact mm. that the arena that he played in <laughs> is now named after him. Someone might want to clue him into that. Get his reaction. Send it on back to the podcast. We'd love to hear that. But um, but certainly, yeah, that's a that's a huge huge we, benefit. No we, doubt about it. We that. need we need Jared Harper to be made aware that uh, he used to, he once played in what is now known as Jared Harper Arena. And we need Reeves Nelson to know that he once mm. played in what is now known as Reeves Nelson Pavilion. <laughs> Finding what was his what's Reeves Nelson's new name though? What is it? Oh God, I forgot. He's got a whole new name. Yeah, he's not Reeves <laughs> Nelson. He's uh, I think I think the word one is in it, right? I can't remember. I've I've completely lost it. I had it on what a previous is, podcast. The only other I'm gonna look it up. Reeves I Nelson. It. His name is <laughs> so so for one. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. a not, not, maniac. <laughs> It's, Can you imagine just changing your? I was going to ask you. No, you. I'm giving. I'm giving you the power right now. You can change your name. What's it going to be? It doesn't John have to Mark. be anything crazy, but like, you've many, many times mm-hmm. just dripping in self-loathing. Hate the fact that your parents named you Gary. Correct. So I know you've thought about this a lot. So you keep the last name or whatever. What What do you prefer your first name to be? John Morant Parish. John Morant Parish, okay. Yes, I'd like to be John Morant Parish, JMP. Okay. <laughs> what if I What if I legally change my name to John Morant Parish? How weird would that be? For and you, then I was the host of the John Morant Parish show. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing would be crazy. I don't uh, know. Yeah, I'm so tired of being at home. Uh, well, you know, yeah, that's just uh, that's the deal, man. Here we've. Uh, we've I started a new show though. All right, let's, ha- let's hear it. Succession. Oh, yeah. We mentioned this. First of all, you're losing track of your days. You're losing track of your podcasts. Oh, I've already told you this? You mentioned this on the previous podcast. We talked about it at the end of the podcast. Yeah, we did. I remember that. You I started that. Succession. Have you finished season one? No, yes. Okay. I'm on season two. I'm on episode two, season two. Did you? Underst- I love it. Did you understand the reference, the illusion... At the end of season one, with the plot line with Kendall, the, uh, the was it similar to the Kennedy story? Yes, yes, yes. So we don't yes. have to we don't have to spoil anything. BS, yes, yes. That uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like that's, that's, that's part of that was like I, I, part of that was whatever. It's a, it's a TV show. I, I, some of that was fairly unbelievable, but regardless, good little good mm-hmm. little twist there. But yeah, that's a that's a quality show. I gotta get I gotta get on my horse. And catch up with billions because it starts. I think it starts like this Sunday or next Sunday. So have you have you done the billions? I've never watched billions. Oh my gosh, it's great. Billions is, I I'm not even caught up. I'm only two seasons in, and I think it's a great show. It is a great show. Great, great, great show. Everyone who listens to this podcast, if you've seen Billions, tweet at Parish, call him Jean Morant, let him know how good Billions. I think it's. 
terrific. I'm only behind because how many shows do you watch with your wife? Um, the Jordan documentary. <laughs> okay, I've been watching. My wife actually she's watched she watched the first one uh, a week and a half ago, and then she watched the first one this past Sunday. She watches one. She's like, I'm gonna go to bed. And I'm like, all right, fair enough. Yeah, like we we don't we watch some of the same shows, but we we almost never watch them together. And the reason is because of like you know what it's like. Like you can't like I get home at six thirty every night. Like we can't just sit down and watch a movie. I mean we got oh, yeah, uh, kids uh, running around acting crazy, like just nonstop. So we can't even start to watch a movie until after the kids go to bed. And my wife goes to sleep around the same time the kids go to bed. So I just stay up. See watch watch by myself. <laughs> We we almost never what do you want to call it like parallel viewing or whatever we never we almost never do that I I have my shows and and she ha- she has maybe one or two of her own but um but we so anyway the point is but when we do have the shows that we watch together we watch them together but it's just got a lot we're behind on billions because you know it's just like all right you want to get into an episode she's like ah, I don't know if I want to, if I only if I watch one I'm gonna watch two and I don't I don't have two hours tonight so I gotta really. I gotta motivate. I gotta get. I gotta get this going here so I can catch up. I actually prefer it this way though because I think when we space it out, by the time season five ends and whenever it's going to end, June or July, I think we can watch at like a a non binging pace and not have to like worry for that that next episode. That's that's the benefit to being behind with these shows. Anyway, the point is, mm. if you think like I think Succession one to ten, I'd give Succession like. A seven point nine. I'd give billions like a nine point three. Really? Yes. Billions is better than Succession. I def- I dare anyone to say otherwise. It's terrific. I, I mean, I can't speak to it, but I tell you, because I, I haven't watched Billions, but Succession is like one of those shows that I really don't know why I was wa- why I wasn't watching. And I said all this already on the previous podcast, but like it's one of those shows that said people said it's really good. You should watch it. And I started watching. I was like, this is really good. Like this is an excellent television show. I'm fired up to finish it. It's good. It's it's definitely good. But then you're gonna finish it, and then we gotta wait. However long we gotta wait for the next season. Um, but regardless, last question by the way. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen Parasite. Have you seen Parasite? Yes. You did. What you yes. think? Yes. I thought it was good. By the time, by the time it was over, I was ready for it to be over. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was just like you know like, you know how sometimes you're watching a show, and you're like. All right, there's 20 minutes left. Like, let's. I'm ready for this to be over. Or, or you just like it's a totally enjoyable. How about this? I watch the Jordan documentaries. They're from my perspective, they're great. I never want them to be over. I if agree. You put, yeah, Parasite with about 30 minutes left. I was like, all right, uh, it's it's good. I you know I guess it's the best film of the year, <laughs> but I'm ready for it to be over. I'm ready for it to be over. So whatever that means. That is on my uh, – I I wanted to watch it like, what, two and a half months ago. never got to it. So that's my next – the next movie that I'll do is, is Parasite the, there. The so. problem with so many great television shows being available is I don't watch movies anymore. I am with you on that. I know. I don't watch. I don't watch. I don't watch movies. There's like movies they come out and I go, oh, I'd really like to see that. And, I ne- and then I never watch them. You know the movie never. that I want to see though? <laughs> have you ever listened to a podcast and you get to the end and you're like I'm ready for this to be over yeah we hear yes. you very meta right now um, I haven't seen I don't think it's like anything great but because I know I love the music and I'm actually interested by the the concept of it I'm sure it's flawed but I want to see the Beatles movie 
yesterday. Have you seen that right. one? He, no, I, I haven't seen it, but it, it's one of – I don't think the reviews were great. I don't think they were, but I, I, I'm still – guy wakes up, and he's the only one that knows all of these Beatles songs. No one else knows them, and so I guess he has something of a music career after. I don't think they were great, but I, I want to see it anyway just to see uh, – just to see what happened. Anyway, we're just talking because we know <laughs> we know as long as we do you this. Like, you should cut. Just let me go. Let me do the shouts, and then you can delete all like the last. 10 no, minutes. Shot. no shot. No shot. We are doing this because our, our 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 significant others, our wives. Well, at least my wife's home. Maybe your wife isn't home, but I know as long as I'm up here doing this, it's 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 like you know I'm I'm good. I'm in I'm in my own little sanctuary because once it's done, once it's done, I got two. Little Cretans, lovable, but they're waiting for me. Yeah. They're waiting for me down there. And that's what I'm about to run into too. I am. I am. Somebody asked me yesterday, "What are you most looking forward to getting back to normal?" <laughs> I was like, "Kids going to school. I, I'm most looking forward to my kids going to school. Like I, I, like I don't know how you guys are doing on like learn. Wait, we're not learning anything at home." Like we're 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 not living up to our parental responsibility. I, I'm doing I'm doing okay. Yesterday I did R words with my four year old. What we do is we got, we got you got to have twenty words that start with the letter. He's got to know it. So let's see if you can just real quick here. Give me three R words that come to mind. We'll see if they're one of the twenty my son gave me. You want me to do this? Yeah, give me three words that start with R. You're testing my knowledge of R. I just want to see if your mind matches up with my son's. Three words that start with R can be anything. Go. Railroad. Railroad is not on the list. Okay. Um, (laughs) The the next R word that popped into my head is definitely not on the list. Then don't say Uh, that one. uh, Reading. Reading is not on the list. Running. Running is on the list. He gave me reindeer, rabbit, Rex, because he loves T-Rexes, record, rain, room, red, rocket ship, running, remote control, rat, rhinoceros, reptiles, rug, rascal, relaxing, rough, robin, rocks, and rack. Pretty good. There we go. What was your I R word? To, can, you say, to, can you say the R word on the podcast? I, that's not the word I was thinking of, by the way, although that word did pop, pop it. Oh, you, you – <laughs> hold on. What? I thought you asked me if I if if we're allowed to say the R word on the podcast. <laughs> What's the R word? You don't know the R word? No, I don't. There's a word that we probably could say when we were growing up, but it. it oh now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Now it's yeah. socially unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I thought you were asking me, no. can you say, can we say the R word on the podcast? I was like, probably not. No, <laughs> and that's that's not what I was saying. I was I, now I get what you. I get. Uh, I the get. The R word that popped into my head that I knew was not on the list was uh, reminiscent. <laughs> reminiscent. He's four. I, that's why I'm innocent. I was actually surprised he gave me rocket ship and run. Well, he likes rhinoceroses. But anyway, the point is, that's the learning we're doing. It's actually it's 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 pretty solid because he gets into it. So um, I guess good luck with it on your end. But we are I am I am trying every single day to to do a little bit of that stuff, and it's it's frustrating, but it actually genuinely can be fun until my one year old comes along and bites me on the arm, and then and then it's over. Yeah, like the, if I try to tell my three-year-old to give me twenty R words, he'd just be like, uh, "No," like he'd, you know, and then he'd he'd throw a rock at a glass shower door. Not good. All right, you want to give the shouts? 
Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. Fatigue. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. And please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. It's not like you have to listen to the very end. It's, you do, actually. <laughs> so go subscribe. That's the best way to get the latest episodes right in your phone. And uh, we will talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.